Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Project MedTech. I am the founder of Project MedTech, Dwayne Mancini. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And you can always visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. My guest today is Alejandro Badia, orthopedic hand surgeon and CEO of OrthoNow. In this episode, Alejandro and I discuss why it is so difficult to get to a specialist in the U.S. healthcare system, his new book, Healthcare from the Trenches, and why he wrote it, the barriers to use for your product and why a startup needs to be concerned with the issue, the adoption of technology and why too many hands in the cookie jar will stunt good products from getting to market, the importance of procedures being done outside the hospital, why he thinks the insurance companies should be not-for-profit, and more. So without further ado, my discussion with Alejandro Badia. Medical innovation starts with medical discussion. Talking about the future and what comes next with Project MedTech. Alejandro, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dwayne. Appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure having you on. So um, let's let's start with a brief a, a brief background. So uh, people who um, this isn't a visual podcast, right? It's all audio, um, so they can't see that you're, you're you're sitting in a in a white coat with a number of certifications and degrees behind you. So um, uh, you're obviously a medical doctor, but but maybe let's just start with your background, um, what you're currently doing. Uh, I want to talk about ortho now, and then we'll spider from there. Sure. So uh, I grew up in, in Cuba, and um, so I'm a proud immigrant. And uh, well, not grew up. I was born in Cuba, then grew up in New Jersey. Okay. And I've been a Northeasterner. I, I did my undergrad work at Cornell, uh, upstate New York, and then I spent a decade in Manhattan, going to NYU for medical school. And then I trained in orthopedics there. I went to Pittsburgh for a hand and upper limb, and then I did a trauma uh, and hand fellowship in Germany. And then I, I co-founded a, a group that grew very fast called the Miami Hand Center, okay. which is sort of now kind of defunct. The group split up about 13 years ago, and I, I, uh, I built my own center uh, with particular focuses. But soon afterwards, I, I started something called Ortho Now because I, I was frustrated how patients actually came to see me as a hand surgeon. I, I found I was probably the third or fourth doctor they saw. And, yeah. and the previous doctors, you know, while well-intentioned really didn't do anything to help them because it's out of their skill set. So it's like going to five doctors, including me for your eyes. I, I, you know, I, I was an emergency yeah. room doctor in New York for a while, but I can tell you, I really don't know a lot about the eye. Sure. Um, and, and it's kind of symbolic of our healthcare system. Interesting. Okay. So, so explain a little bit more ortho now. I, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but because I, I really want to talk about this, this underlying issue here, which is, is something that innovators need to be aware of, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But, but talk exactly about ortho now. I mean, how many facilities do you have? You're down in, in, in what, Southern Florida? Is, are you other in other but, places? Oh, it's Miami. I mean, the, the, the flagship is where my practice is, my surgery, the surgery center at Doral. Um, okay. So everything's in, in, in Doral in one building okay. where I'm speaking from. And I, uh, I was a franchisee of something called Doctors Now, which was a general urgent care. Um, and this was before the kind of the advent of, of ortho specialized urgent care. Okay. So uh, 
so, but I wanted to market it in, in, towards, towards musculoskeletal problems, but the name itself didn't help. So we, we saw, you know, uh, you know, everything under the sun uh, and really very little orthopedics and, 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 and that failed. I couldn't compete with the, the hospital or the big chain urgent cares. So mm -hmm. I, I closed it and then just changed the name and opened OrthoNow. Okay. And at first that was a franchise because I had been a franchisee uh, and that was a terrible idea. Uh, franchising for healthcare just doesn't work well. It's too uh, onerous legally. And um, so we, 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 we sort of folded that concept and now it's a licensing program. Yep. And it is a, a misnomer because we don't even call it urgent care. It's really ortho now is immediate orthopedic care. What it means okay. is that you, you can walk in and get a workup and an initial treatment or direct referral to a surgeon, be it necessary, uh, because 70% of the walk-ins are actually not urgent. Their you know, number one diagnosis has been right knee pain, for example, mm, specifically. Okay. We have all this data analytics, which we think has significant value. Right. Uh, and it shows what community orthopedics is all about. So the number two diagnosis has been lumbar back pain. Uh, so, so all of these uh, common problems that people have, orthonas kind of an easy... Uh, first step uh, where you're not you know, being seen by you know, your primary care doctor or a general urgent care doctor, or even a busy emergency room doctor, you're seeing an orthopedic clinician. Yeah. So you're skipping a step. Exactly. Uh, well, okay. usually that's the problem. It's usually two or three steps yeah. in our system. And that's, that's really where I think the big cost and inefficiency issues are. And that's, that's just in orthopedics. I know that my colleagues oh, yeah. in other specialties face the same issues. Okay. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, you know, I, uh, it's easiest for me to relate this to. So, so when I used to, um, uh, compete in powerlifting or, you know, the gym I go to, I still go to a gym where there's a lot of powerlifting. I don't partake anymore, but, um, when I did, you know, people would, I talked to some of the older guys and they would, you know, have uh, this lingering hip pain or this lingering back pain. And just to get to a specialist was horribly difficult, right? Like it, it was, it was, it was like they, I would see them. And then a month later they were still like, Oh, I got to do one more step. And then I can oh go see God. the specialist, you know, and it, it's, it's crazy, but um, I, I cringe to hear that. I mean, we could put yeah. a man on the moon and yet we have, yeah. you know, we have this technology. This is one of the things we won several national awards. If you, if okay. you go to our app, so any of your, your, your listeners are curious, just type in your app store, OrthoNow, one word, yeah. OrthoNow, okay. and you would get a, um, in fact, I've already been communicating with the clinician. You get this uh, home screen. So you'd be able to say, I'm on my way now with this big red button. You can wow. call a Lyft or an Uber within the app. Yeah. You can send a picture. You obviously can put something like, uh, you know, I, I hurt my hip, you know, doing uh, squats. Sure. Um, and, yeah. and, then, and, and then and then it'll tell you the nearest ortho now, and you can let us know you're on your way. Wow. So, so that's a big, I mean, that's yeah. a huge jump from what you're telling me about your, your lifting yeah. colleagues, because yeah. there's no reason you shouldn't. I mean, I'm an upper limb guy, but you don't come see me for that hip or back pain. Even mm -hmm. though I'm an orthopedist, I mean, I know a fair amount about that, but I haven't examined a hip in 25 years. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So, so, so this, this lays the groundwork for the issue, right? At least in, 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 in my eyes, if, if, if you make something hard or unaccessible, people aren't going to do it. Right. Like it's just, that's, this is just human nature. If, 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 if I need to get blood work done and it's going to take two hours of my time, I'm probably not going to do it. If it takes five minutes of my time and I can bop in, bop out and I'm in perfect. Right. I mean, so, so I think about like, uh, uh, COVID, um, when we, before COVID, if I wanted to go get blood work down, down the street, blood work done down the street here, you'd get there. There might be a line. There might not. It's a luck of the draw. If it is a line, I could wait an hour just to get blood work done. I'm probably not going to do it. But now because of COVID, you have to have an appointment. So I go there. I know I'm going to get seen at nine o'clock and I'm going to get right out. Um, so to your point, healthcare is very much like this. So do you kind of want to talk more broadly about the, the current problem for patients assessing healthcare? I mean, in, in a nutshell, I, I, I look at it this way. You, you need to see the right clinician at the right time. Uh, that's, that's it. That, that's mm-hmm. where the money savings are because when you have to see multiple people, those people rightly so are being reimbursed and compensated for their time, but they don't really have the expertise. It's not their fault. It's not their specialty. Mm-hmm. So let's break down the barriers to seeing the right type of physician. Uh, or or uh, or a, a mid-level provider. Uh, my today's a PA day, by the way. I want to shout that out. Uh, physician assistants are very valuable, and my yep. my PA that I've been with. Uh, we, we're next week. We're celebrating ten years together. I can tell you, she knows a lot more about hand than and wrist than my colleague who does spine. Just mm-hmm. like his colleague, physician assistant knows more about spine than I do because yeah. they're talking about it every day. And that's a vital part of our health system, particularly as a physician shortage gets uh, worse, which is happening. Yes. Uh, so, so, and I, I think that the public needs to really understand and accept that and understand what their role is because it's, it's a vital role. Um, so we need, because, because of them and nurse practitioners, et cetera, we can really uh, specialize better. Uh, now, I, I believe everybody should have a family doctor so usually yep. that, that is a family practitioner or a good inter- internist, internal medicine. But, um, but that's more to manage your overall health and chronic issues and, you know, your hypertension or what have you. But the moment somebody says, you know, my knee's hurting or, my, or I have a problem with my eye or yeah. uh, you really should go to that specialist because that ends up saving a lot of money. And our healthcare system, for whatever reason, has been resistant to that. Uh, we experimented with this whole gatekeeper thing. And there are a lot of insurance plans still, you have to see your primary. And it's really a nuisance for the primary care doctor. Yeah. Right? It just fills up their schedule and they end up saying, okay, yeah, here's a, here's a referral to an orthopedist. But you know, the insurance company is gonna pay that person something. And for what? Uh, it ends up being a barrier so that your friend in the powerlifting gym you know, can take a month to see somebody for their hip pain. Right. And, and I think that that is a basic uh, tenet. And one, one of the things I talk about uh, in my book is is really seeing, uh, you know, the right right clinician at the right time. So uh, before we talk about um, healthcare from the trenches, which is your book, 
uh, I was not aware it was physician assistant day. So I did text my, <laughs> my sister-in-law and, and wish oh, her happy physician assistant day. So she's a PA as well. Okay. And uh, I should give her a shout out as well. So, um, okay. So the book healthcare from the trenches, um, you wrote this last year. Um, and, and what is the premise of, of, of the book? It's to spell out what the, the challenges and barriers are to, to, to delivering healthcare. So it's, you know, I wish I could say I have a solution. Uh, I will tell you the last chapter delves into that, and it's not just me. There's, there's 26 contributors to the book, uh, but they have sort of short blurbs that I think give the book some depth and uh, understanding that it's a pervasive problem. So it's not, it's, it's not just, you know, one physician uh, uh, complaining about it, it, it's really a big problem. Um, so the, the subtitle is an insider account of the complex barriers of US healthcare from the providers and patients perspective. Uh, so you can you, you notice it doesn't say from the big healthcare administrators, from the insurance company, from the you know, um, HHS uh, workers uh, perspective, it's from the people who are actually in the trenches, which is, the clinician and their patient. And nobody seems to be listening to what the issues are from our perspective. That's not what you hear on CNN or Fox News or the New York Times. Um, and it's kind of amazing to me, actually. Yeah. Uh, that's the idea <laughs> of the book is to give a voice. Okay, awesome. Um, and you can find this on Amazon. And, and, and yeah. for all the listeners, I'll include a link to the book. Um, URL and the show notes as well. So, um, you know, I actually just had, and so this is an important subject for people who are on the innovation side, which is most of the people yep. listening to this podcast, right? Because you need to be aware of these kind of issues. Um, there are things that are, you know, probably outside of your control to a certain extent with some products. However, you need to know this though, um, because you know it, it can affect business decisions. It can affect um, uh, you know what the claims you want to make on your product. So I just had a another um, author on Talia Moran Schatz who 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 wrote a book about how patients and healthcare providers um, make decisions, right, and knowing the psychology. Of, of how they make decisions. And, and while it's a little abstract, it's things to be aware of, right? Like there's, there's a lot of really cool products that fail because they didn't realize about, they, they, they thought the demand would be there, but the way the patients actually make the decision, they, 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 it, the demand wasn't there. And in your situation, what we're talking about is, you know, if you get so far down a, I guess like a, a healthcare line almost, right? If there's a lot of barriers up before you, that could really affect how many people use your product and if anyone uses it at all, right? So do you have, do you have innovators reach out to you about these kind of questions or have you seen, have you seen examples of, of innovative companies who have worked around this issue of accessing healthcare or, you know, what's your best advice, I guess, for, for someone who needs to be aware of this problem? Well, there, there's an excellent, I was just looking, um, there's an excellent article written quite some years ago by, uh, by a lady at the Harvard, in the Harvard Business Review. And it, it says, basically, why is innovation so hard in healthcare? Yeah. And it's because there's uh, 
she outlined six uh, categories of major barriers. And, you know, healthcare is like, like almost nothing else because you can have a great product, but then all of a sudden you've got to have then the government, often the FDA, you have to jump through those hoops. And once you've done that, then you have to jump through the hoops of the insurance carriers, which perhaps right. is worse. Uh, without so, a doubt. <laughs> yeah. So, so that, you know, I mean, it's like nothing, it's like no other sector, right? Uh, so innovators in healthcare have to be almost, you know, seasoned warriors because you're up against all these. And, and the amazing thing is people still do it. I, and I think they do it because, you know, we're helping people. So I think many of us have that intrinsically really want to help our fellow man. And, and thank goodness for that, because if not, a lot of people would bow out. Yeah. Uh, so the, so the uh, terms of the advice, I mean, I, I, I wish I could, I wish I had great because I, I've had a real struggle with ortho now, even getting it to um, getting investors to really pay attention because uh, it's something new and our healthcare system uh, doesn't really accommodate new ideas very well, even though we all complain of the same thing. I mean, we're twice as expensive uh, per capita as the next country, industrialized country in, in line, and yet, mm -hmm. um, you know, continues to creep up in cost. And uh, we're not we're not often not entertaining uh, real innovations um, on the implant side. We are. So for people listening, I mean, if you, you know, whether it be pharmaceuticals or some type of implant or medical technology, that is difficult. But what I'm talking about is actually changing how we deliver the healthcare, mm -hmm. um, a, a change in the basic uh, uh, protocol. And, and that is uh, I think the investment community uh, still hasn't really embrace that fully. But once that does, I think that we're going to see some real change. Okay. All right. So let me ask you this too, because I, this came up on a candid call I was having with, with someone and, you know, we we're just kind of talking about a, a product or a company. And the, the question was they were eliminating the excessive need for a specific procedure, right? So, so, um, you know, you could probably guess the, the area they're in, but, but they're, <laughs> they're taking a normal, a normal procedure that may require seven visits and taking it down to two. Right. And, you know, from an insurance side, reimbursement's not going to be a problem. Uh, as long as they can prove safety, FDA is not going to be a problem where they anticipated issues was selling this to hospitals. Um, because, it is going to limit procedures and less money they can bill. Right. Is that something you actually see? I, you know, cause I, I think me being naive, I'm like, if it's better for the patient, then, <laughs> then why, why wouldn't it happen? But, but I do understand that there are, that is a serious discussion to be had and, and a lot of reason why some products fail. Um, so can you touch on that a little bit? Sure. Uh, the, the problem is there's a lot of people with their hands in a cookie jar, right? So if we can streamline it to make it the person actually uh, delivering the, the, mm -hmm. that, that procedure, um, obviously there has to be a facility, although many things are moving to the outpatient realm. So office, even in office procedures. So I think many of those things will um, smooth out because the hospitals, you know, they're, they're very expensive to run. And, yep. and we obviously need them, but I think we, we, we rely way too much on big hospitals, uh, way too much. 
and yes, the, the, they they um, they are not going to be keen on something that becomes that efficient to the point where they may be cut out or their revenues diminished. Um, I think that's where this sort of buzzword of value-based healthcare comes in, where if we can somehow reimburse uh, things based upon the uh, the outcome and the value, and even if it doesn't take seven visits and you can do it in two, why not why not be reimbursed approximately the same? Um, and, and that's something we have to think long and hard about. I can tell you it's been super challenging with the insurance industry about um, uh, even things that save them money. They um, have been, you know, resistant might not be the word. I think they're just kind of obtuse. They, they, they don't know enough about it. Okay. Uh, so if we can collaborate better, uh, I can tell you there's never an insurance person at any of our conferences, medical conferences, and they never invite a clinician uh, to an insurance conference. I mean, you know, except unless they're like a medical director, um, that's kind of ludicrous. If they're if if they're paying for it, why, why don't we get in the sandbox together? Yeah. Because uh, I think most most physicians are pretty responsible, and I think they'd want to do things that that are are you know all things being equal, if it's more cost effective. Uh, mm-hmm. But that that is a challenge. I'll, I'll give you an example. When I was at the Hand Society last week in um, in in San Francisco, I uh, had kind of a, a, an interesting lunch with a, a company that makes a a um, a, a medication for uh, Dupatrans, which is a a fibrosis in the hand. It's gotten very famous now because John Elway has a commercial. Okay. Um, yeah. It's kind yeah. of amazing uh, that you know it takes it takes a celebrity for people to notice a condition that all of us see, but there okay. is a, an injection for that. Um, and you would think, yes, that can be more cost-effective than surgery, but the medication's pretty expensive. Um, but one of the things that doctors were talking about is, look, we, we do it a certain way. And while the medication's expensive, what the doctor gets reimbursed to the decision-making, to administer it, to see them one day post-injection, which you have to do as part, that pays very, very poorly. So naturally, um, if, if, the, if the surgeons know how to do a, a particular surgery for that, that's a minimal risk and it reimburses much better, uh, obviously that's gonna be a conflict, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to find, there has to be kind of a middle ground. And the only way that's gonna happen is if we, we get in the room with, um, with those insurance companies. Yes, okay, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack here. Um, so, so you made a comment about uh, too many hands in the cookie jar, right? So, cause I, I hear the phrase, they're like, you know, like people will say it in passing and, and, or not in passing, but people will say it like very quick and they'll be like, oh, well, doctors like to make money. And, you know, it's always, I think that that's always been my skepticism is, yeah, I'm sure we all do. Right. I get that. But uh, when you said too many hands in the cookie jar, that's a great way to explain it because while doctors want to make money, there's also like five other hands in that cookie jar saying, well, we want to make money too, right? right. So we want more procedures. Um, and you kind of brought that together a little bit at the end there of saying, you know, this is a bigger discussion. Um, it's not just, there, there's there's a lot, right? But, but I think understanding, I, I've had um, three, or four other MDs on the um, podcast, none of them have had glowing reviews of the US healthcare system. Um, 
all of them realize it's broken. Right. And, and so I think you're just hitting on a lot of good points here and things that, that people need to be aware of is it's not just convincing, you know, the physician that, Oh, okay. They might take a little hit because they're not doing as many procedures. It's, it's the, the hospital chain. It's, it's the insurance company. I mean, there's, there's really a ton there. So I, I appreciate the background on, on that's a really good example, right? Because now that's drug versus pharma, but they compete a lot of times on certain things, right? So that was a good example to just kind of show to people. Now, in that case, it works out good for med tech, <laughs> not so much for, yeah. for pharma. Yeah. But uh, the, 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 the issue is that overall the kitty is still growing and getting more and more expensive. And yeah. it's how we're allocating those funds. So a statistic that always opens eyes, uh, and I talk about it in the book, is that I think we've had an 1,800% increase in, um, in administrators in, in hospital systems and only a 6% increase in physicians over the last 20 years. So there has been a huge, um, and, and part of that is just the increasing bureaucracy of medicine. So you, it means you need uh, more sort of business people to organize things. Uh, yeah. But that's, you know, it's, it's kind of an absurd because all those people have a salary and benefits. Um, and yet that's, that's taken money away from the people actually providing the care. And that, people that, providing the care like me, I mean, my office, I'm a, I'm a dinosaur. I'm a solo hand surgeon. Yeah. Uh, I have, you know, eight, uh, well, actually I have one less now. Uh, thank goodness I had nine full-time staff people just for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, and with what insurance is reimbursed and the expenses keep going up. I mean, uh, you know, we have malpractice insurance, right? So I'm thinking of going there. I've been wanting to actually. Yeah. Uh, our EMR, I just found out that my x-ray machine, you know, I have a state-of-the-art machine. I bought it 13 years ago. Uh, the company's no longer uh, basically servicing it, which, which means that if a, a certain part is needed, they might not be able to fix it. That's a quarter million dollar machine. Yeah, that's a, that's a heck of right. a lot of carpal tunnel releases <laughs> to make up for quarter million dollars. Right. So these, you know, these are the problems. Is that the expense to um, and and that's why many physicians are now being hired by hospital systems. But I don't. I think the days of you know Marcus Welby and 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 that sort of personal touch is we're losing it because it's no longer their practice. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll stay here till whatever time of the night when a patient needs me. But mm-hmm. once uh, I, I sign a contract with some, you know, hospital system, um, you know, then I'm kind of working more, you know, eight to five, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not sure that and now that doesn't mean many, many specialties are, are very hospital based. And I think that's fine that they make a decision to be full-time employees, but many of us are not. Um, and my specialty is just one of many that could be I mean, I haven't set foot in a hospital in six years, and I do, I do shoulder replacements. I mean, a prosthetic, metal, yeah. shiny new shoulder. I do it down the hall in our outpatient center. Right. So, now, ask me why Blue Cross Blue Shield is not banging on my door saying, "Wow, we want to drive more patients to you because you're doing these procedures in a less costly environment with less complications." By the way, right? There is no COVID here, and right. bacterial infections, right? MRSA. All of those are diminished in an outpatient center. And I, I think COVID does have a silver lining is that what even with telemedicine, but so many other uh, components of healthcare delivery are actually being streamlined better because of the pandemic. 
Yeah. Uh, decentralized, right? It's the same thing with clinical trials. We've seen that on that side, right? Things are decentralized, virtual, that kind of thing. Um, it, it, boy, that stat is insane. Um, 1800% increase in administrators, 6% in physicians. That's, that's wild. Um, do you know, uh, who Arlen Myers is? He runs. Yes. I'm, uh, I'm the co-president of the chapter here in South Florida. Wonderful. Okay. So he was episode six of the podcast and, and, you know, he made it a point the entire episode that anytime I brought up healthcare, he called it sick care. Um, (laughs) and, and, and I, I almost routinely ask this of every, every doctor who's been on, on the podcast, do you agree with, with, with that statement that that is what we have here? Yeah, it's very reactionary. Um, and, and, and you know what, it really bugs me when the public says something like, oh, doctors don't care about holistic medicine or something. That's not true. Uh, I read a book, um, uh, about, about functional medicine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's called unconventional medicine. Um, and it's, you know, Mark Hyman, it's one of his, um, uh, underlings who's a PhD nutritionist and talks about how we can avoid, uh, uh, or diminish the incidence of many of these chronic illnesses. So we should be treating things preemptively. All right. So when I, when I put a plate on a lady's wrist, like last week, uh, so a Russian lady fell and her bone was very soft. The first thing I did was tell her daughter, look, you need to get her to um, an internist who's going to manage her osteoporosis because the next thing that's going to break is her hip or a lumbar vertebrae because yeah. her bone is very, very soft. So if we can prevent, maybe she wouldn't have broken her wrist. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end, there's always going to be people who fall from a scaffolding or a horse or whatever that are going to need our care. But right. some of the things that happen is because we um, we're reactionary. And I think that's what that means is, uh, mm-hmm. is that we're, we're really doing sick care rather than, than, than healthcare. And that's why, again, you, you need your, 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 your family physician to, to manage that uh, globally. And that's yeah. a very key component. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, you know, this it's actually, so, so when I moved to Cleveland, it was like, okay, got to pick a family, family, uh, a family physician, right. A primary care doctor. And, um, (laughs) it took me a while to find one, but I finally found one who, you know, has that mentality of, uh, preventative, right. And not just, not just, Oh, something's wrong. You know, it's very much, um, you could tell he takes the time to to practice his his craft, right? So so it's it's but, it's much appreciated. Yeah, unfortunately, that's not reimbursed well, though. You know, right? Uh, and, and look, uh, this is you know, I'm kind of at the end of the food chain, right? I'm a, I'm yeah. a you know microvascular hand surgeon, uh, but I'm the first one to say that we shouldn't be reimbursed simply uh, upon uh, you know procedures. It, yeah. If somebody's taking that much time. Uh, that, that's what it takes with a patient to be able to the, the end, the end of the, the, the road there is going to be huge health, you know, healthcare savings, I mean, huge healthcare savings. If we can get people to eat better, to exercise, to uh, have their blood work and, and, and stave off issues early on. Right. And that is really the role of that family doctor. And, and mm-hmm. a lot of that's disappearing with the millennials. They all want to just go to a general urgent care. And, you know, those are great for when you need something immediately, right? You need a, you know, uh, you, you think you might have strep throat and you need a swab, and but you shouldn't be using that as your your end all for healthcare mm. because you don't have a relationship with that with that clinician. Right. Okay. So, what's the solution? 
where do we go from here? I mean, I, I, we've, we've laid out the issue. We've talked a little bit about how to combat certain things, but, but is there anything that, that jumps out to you in terms of, you know, how do we combat this? I think first, how do we combat this? You know, so where should we go? But then secondly, you know, today you're looking five, 10 years in the future, where are we going? You know, what are we on track to do? Well, unfortunately, I think we're, we're, we're approaching it the wrong way. We have to make medicine less bureaucratic and less cumbersome because that mm-hmm. all, all little steps just end up being money that's wasted. So one of the first things I would do is uh, minimize this concept of, of authorization. Um, an hour ago, I saw a woman. I'm a hand surgeon. I'm seeing her. She actually went to the ortho now. So they knew that this was something that needed to be seen by me. So she came right downstairs in the same visit, basically saw an orthopedic more generalist, realized, and it was very unusual what she has. And I, you know, I rarely order a hand MRI, but I have one right through that wall, yeah, right yeah. behind me. And I said, this is one of those rare cases because I'm worried about the, uh, the, the, the knuckle of her index finger, um, not to get too technical, but the point is I could have done it same visit. Well, no, the insurance needs an authorization. And I go, that's silly because now she's going to maybe go to some other doctor and that person's going to be paid something when she could have, uh, she could have done it the same visit and I wouldn't be charging her for a second visit, right? I would do the MRI and then right. I might, she might walk out of here with an injection yeah. or, uh, or, or maybe she needs a procedure. Uh, but I don't know until I see the MRI. So if we can, if we can, in other words, I think that you what should be authorized is that the right type of doctor sees somebody. So maybe right. I'm authorized, fine. But once that person sees me, I don't think a secretary sitting at a desk somewhere should be authorizing me with 14 years of education and training about whether I can do an MRI, order therapy, do a surgery, do an injection, or just say take some Advil. Yeah. So that's that's a now that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have oversight because mm-hmm. maybe somebody like me every single time somebody comes in with that problem is talking about taking them to surgery. Then, then you look up, you know, you look under the, the hood a bit, Yeah. but, but where it's kind of like TSA screening everybody. Right. Sure. I mean, look at the cost of that. Yeah. Um, and that's a whole other issue, but that's, that's kind of a good analogy. Uh, and that's what we're doing. That drives up the cost. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think most physicians are ethical enough to order the right thing. And, and that person who's giving the authorization they don't even know if I'm doing something unethically because they, they don't understand it well enough. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Um, so that, that's one thing. Okay. Eliminate all these, these barriers. And then um, another thing is just kind of radical is that frankly, I firmly believe that health insurance companies should be nonprofit. I think they should be dumping. And I have, I'm a capitalist. I came from Cuba. I love, I'm a capitalist. So I think that if the blue cross, uh, you know, CEO uh, saves money and, and they provide better care and, and all these parameters that they love to look at, then they should be paid very well. I'm, you know, just like if you throw a lot of touchdowns, these people get paid yeah, right. certainly well, right? Yep. Um, but the, the, the problem is, is that when they're answering to Wall Street and to their investors, I, I, I don't think there's a role for that. And, and I, I talk about one of the countries that does it that way, that has a good system, so I don't want to I don't want to give up, uh, uh, you know, spoil all the thunder in the book. But in the last chapter, I talk about uh, some examples of that. And and what what country is that? Just out of curiosity, can you share yeah. that? You don't have to talk yeah, too much yeah, about Germany. it. 
Germany. Germany. Okay. Uh, there's a there's a great book um, by uh, T. R. Reed, the uh, the healing uh, of America, and he he uh, has a shoulder problem, ironically, which I treat a lot of, yeah. and uh, he goes to one of the great great hospitals in New York City, and they say he needs a shoulder replacement. Now I never saw his X-rays, but he very well may need that. He said, you know, hold on, let me see what, and he goes to eight or nine other countries. And I can tell you, they have radically different ideas. I mean, he went to India and he, he spent a week in this place with all kinds of liniments and, and, and creams and, yeah. and, and meditation. And, you know, he felt much better. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, point being is that he compared then the cost of all these places, whether it be Japan, Canada, England, um, and, and Germany was one of those countries. But it was a, a very interesting analysis. And while I still think that the U.S. has some of the best healthcare in the world, uh, it could be it could be a lot more efficient and cost effective. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, of course, right? You look at some of the institutions we we have throughout the United States, and um, you, you know, it, 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 we have we have some of the best healthcare in the world. It's just, you know, the question becomes: Can you access it? And how long does it take to get to it? Right. <laughs> I mean, well, that's, like, look, that's the issue. Here's, you know, I, I, I mean, um, here's one humble attempt. I mean, if ortho now could be replicated, right? So there's three centers in Miami. We actually had a few in Georgia. Um, it was, a, it was a franchise. That was a terrible idea. But if, if say, you know, hopefully somebody from either Walmart or Amazon is listening, um, yeah. these, these guys want to get into healthcare. With the money and the reach they have, if they took an idea like mine, I mean, yep. I, I'd love it to be ours, of course, but something like that. We've done the legwork. We have the data analytics. Uh, we, 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 we have the technology already built. The only thing we're lacking is the reach. We don't yeah. have that, that reach, and nor, nor the capital, of course. Uh, that could completely disrupt 15% of U.S. healthcare. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we're talking... Uh, hundreds of hundreds of billions of dollars to yeah. be disrupted because all of a sudden your buddy in the gym would, it would they would know whether that is just a strain of the psoas muscle versus a probable labral tear in the hip yeah. and a good quality mri would determine that uh, you know so there there is a solution and right. you multiply that by 320 million people we could save a lot of money yeah, and, and you talk the 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 saving of I mean you're talking about saving patients time, you're talking about saving patients money, and that if you reduce those and and you make the cost of healthcare cheaper, it's just better for everybody. <laughs> it just and, and, a, and guess what know. from guess what from my more from my more liberal friends who I just yeah. spent the week with I, my buddies from Cornell were uh, it's funny because I I say to them look uh, I'm uh, I'm all for having a safety net. I mean, in a yeah. humane and just society, you know, that you have to take care of the less fortunate. And there'll be so much money left over to be able to expand uh, uh, Medicaid and make sure that everyone gets on Medicaid who needs it. And yeah, uh, there, there would be so much money left over if we made it more efficient that we'd yep. be able to take care of everybody. Yeah, awesome. Well, look, I appreciate it. Um, again, for listeners, healthcare from the trenches, link in the show notes. So up or down an inch, depending on the platform you're listening to, I'll include a link to Alejandro's LinkedIn uh, as well. Are you, are you, are you pretty active there? Yes. Yes. Pretty active. Awesome. 
And then I'll include a link to the website, Ortho Now. You can check that out. And uh, yeah, Alejandro, hang on for one minute. Uh, we'll chat a little offline here, but but really appreciate your time today. Um, it, it's it's always an eye opener for me, you know, when we can actually talk to the people who are using the innovative tools that that the med tech folks are are developing. And you know, sometimes we have to have these difficult conversations that aren't too uplifting talking about the difficulties of getting those innovations in the patient's hands um, or not in the physician's hands for the patients. Um, but uh, no, hope. yeah, there is hope. We'll, we'll keep marching that way, but I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at Thanks for listening and have a great day.